0: Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to show the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends.
1: Today, we're interviewing Andrew Stark and Nick Iyengar about the upcoming transitions to GA4. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed, And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing
0: Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we're joined by Nick and Andrew to talk about the GA4 transition.
1: Nick Eingar is a 15-plus year veteran of the digital analytics industry and VP of analytics at Merkle slash Cardinal Path, a Merkle company, um, where he manages the Google Analytics line of business. Andrew Stark is a manager within Merkle's technology strategy team. He focuses on answering and solving technology and data problems for many of our clients. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Thank, Thank you. For having us. Happy to be here.
1: We're happy to have you. So today we are talking about the Google Analytics transition to GA4, a GA instance which was released in October of 2020, and there's an upcoming forced migration timeline by Google for ongoing data collection of July 1st of next year, 2023. So why is this transitioning happening, and and can you guys provide any, any background for this?
2: Yeah, I can probably start us off. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why the GA4 transition is is happening and happening now, but I'd, I'd give sort of two big macro trends that are important to think about. Uh, the first is, I think people tend to forget that like Google Analytics has actually been around for kind of a sneaky long time. Uh, and obviously, it's gone through a lot of iterations and that kind of thing. But... You know, Google Analytics is like 15 plus years old. And even the current version or sort of the what soon to be legacy version of Google Analytics has been around for like a full decade. And so the way that product was built was built for a world where people used a full fledged laptop or, or desktop computer to browse websites alone. And that was kind of like the only touch point that the consumer would have with the brand. And so obviously, like digital experiences have changed a lot, right? We've gone from being like highly web focused to Web, app, connected devices, Internet of things, all kinds of different ways that consumers can interact with brands and we need a measurement platform that can sort of treat all of those equally right as opposed to being sort of web centric uh, with sort of this, this legacy baggage. Um, the other big thing I'd point to is slightly more recent development is just the rise of like the privacy aware consumer and then some of the knock-on effects that come from that, right like legislatures and uh, you know regulatory bodies. Creating this sort of patchwork quilt of privacy regulation that's now being uh, being built out around the world, and so, you know, one of the reasons for for GA4 to come to the the forefront now is it has a lot of net new privacy controls that it, it puts in the hands of marketers so that they can do the the data collection and data activation that they want, um, but do it in a way that's as as privacy safe as possible in a world where you know what privacy safe even means is kind of changing. From from week to week and country by country. So, yeah, this move to sort of the multi-platform world as opposed to web only, and the rise of uh, the, sort of the need for for greater privacy controls, probably the two big macro trends. Andrew, I'm sure there's more to add. Anything else you want to call out?
3: Yeah, I, I would just double down on on the the regulatory concerns. I think even today, I was reading articles around uh, potentially Italy banning Google Analytics. Actually, so oh, continues to change, right? And and that continue evolution continued evolution of the the regulatory landscape and and ultimately how measurement and, and attribution, all the things that Google Analytics does for us, uh, how that needs to fit into uh, that ever-changing landscape. So a, a lot of the, the things that are changing within the platform are changing from sort of the legacy to this new GA4 paradigm have to deal with how things are calculated and, and making sure we're doing that in a compliant way or in a Uh, in a way in which it is congruent with the expectations, ultimately, of the users uh, and and the individuals browsing these different uh, web properties or app properties or mobile web properties.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So interesting. I am wondering, how do marketers actually make this transition? And specifically, like what best practices should they be following? Or are there pitfalls or things for them to look out for? Like, This doesn't seem like a small sort of ask to upgrade your analytics platform. So I am curious about that.
2: Yeah, it's not a trivial undertaking especially for let's say you know a global enterprise that potentially runs like multiple websites, multiple mobile apps and that kind of thing. So so yeah, it's it, it is a it is an undertaking to do that kind of lift and shift, right? From call it GA3, right, the previous generation over to GA4. And I think, you know, one of the things right. that's that served a lot of our clients well is just to like give yourself enough runway to to get it done, right? So even if you don't actually plan to use GA4 day to day for some of your kind of key use cases starting tomorrow, you should still get ahead of the sort of implementation and, and deployment process so that you're not frantically trying to do it when Google pulls the plug, frankly, on the legacy product, right? And so um, it's not just that you want to beat the deadline, but you also want to beat the deadline with plenty of time to spare so that you're building up historical data so that you're uh, like ironing out little issues that can happen when you redeploy an analytics platform and all that. So, you know, it's it's a big high level point, but I'd say one that applies like regardless of what industry you're in or what your use cases are for GA4 is start earlier than you think that you need to and then you'll enjoy the benefits of that over the next 12 months as we kind of sunset on on GA3 and start using GA4 more and more, kind of in parity with the the previous product. Andrew, what about you? Anything else you want to call out?
3: Yeah, getting ahead of it is is certainly uh, the 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 first thing I, I would suggest. Um, yeah, I, I think you touched on a, a really important point there, Nick. You know, building up that historical data, building up that sort of muscle, uh, you know, when it comes to to the day-to-day operations of, of the new platform is is really critical. You don't want to be stuck in a a place where um, you're in a in a production mode and you you have a bug and you're not you're not sure how to to resolve that and and it's the only uh, analytics suite that you have uh, available on your property. So um, really making sure that that you have that long runway. Right? Really making sure you know you're building up that historical data so you can find new ways of using the data that's ultimately available out
2: of the platform. One other consideration that I think really is sort of universal is you know, a lot of our clients who are transitioning to GA4, they, they come in with this expectation that like what they want is basically just to create a shot-for-shot remake of what they had in GA3 mm-hmm. and just drop it into GA4 land. And I think that that's a totally reasonable like starting point in terms of a, a needs assessment, right? Hey, we have this in GA3. We like it. Let's make sure that we keep it. But... There are a lot of aspects to ga4 that mean that you should maybe take a step back and say like what have our historical pain points with analytics been in general what are we maybe not taking advantage of that we'd like to do better with and in a lot of cases you know ga4 is going to offer some net new capabilities uh, to help you address those pain points or help you kind of mature in your practice area um, beyond what you could have done in the past and so if you kind of limit yourself to only recreating what you've already had certainly you, that, that's good in one sense. You'll you'll make sure you're not missing anything uh, from the past, but you'll also kind of have those winders on and not be able to kind of fully take advantage of the new platform.
1: Two common questions I'm assuming we're we're getting from a lot of questions are uh, from a lot of clients are you both mentioned the need to build up historical data? Can you port over data from GA3 into your GA4 instance? And then the second question I'm guessing is when you fully switch over is it easy to kind of like go back and look at the data in GA3 or is it just like a you flip the switch and it's all or nothing
2: yeah in terms of you know how you port the data i guess the short answer would be no you you can't just like take your GA3 data and drop it into GA4 but having said that there are things that you can do sort of behind the scenes or in other other tools to facilitate that kind of Portability. So, for example, a lot of our clients are going to export data they have from, from Google Analytics 3 into a tool like Google's BigQuery, which is quite easy to do. There are some native integrations there that make that possible. Um, and then similarly, you could be pushing your data from GA4 into BigQuery. And so, while you'll never have one Google Analytics instance that's got kind of your old data, quote unquote, and your new data, you can unify that elsewhere, for example, in, in BigQuery.
1: Got it. Awesome. So for clients who we have seen make this transition to GA4, are there any notable changes that we would want to set expectations around, you know, unexpected changes or particularly good or bad ones that you want to call out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of elephant in the room if we're, if we're being honest is that, you know, there is still a lot of active development happening on, on GA4 and so you know, I think clients are are realizing that more and more, um, and organizations that are kind of mapping out what they want to do as GA4 are now increasingly sort of aware of that. Um, but that's very much the case, right? And so I think Google has released a ton of really important integrations and other features into GA4 thus far this year. That's going to continue apace, but it does mean that, like, when you log into GA4 today, if you come to it with the expectation that you're going to be able to do, you know, absolutely everything that you you're used to being able to do in GA3. You know, you're likely to have a little bit of a rude surprise. So like I said, I, I do think people are increasingly aware of that um, and seeing sort of the ongoing development of, of GA4 as having implications for you know when they're likely to to fully offboard you know from GA3. Um, but yeah I think that's I think that's a big one. And then you know much more tactically and Andrew I'm curious if you're seeing this kind of on your side as well, but you know much yeah. more in the weeds, you know, we we do get a lot of questions around like terminology and like why did this change from x to y and what does that mean oh actually it's just a very superficial change nothing nothing really happened beneath the surface there's a lot of that stuff that always happens with any kind of software upgrade right so we we do spend a lot of time like stepping clients through like hey don't worry actually this isn't nearly as different as maybe it it seems at first but andrew are you you getting kind of similar questions and, and concerns from your clients
3: yeah, exactly. Sort of like, you know, what's different? How do how do we uh approach sort of a, an existing use case in this new in this new tool or upgraded tool? Um one of the things I think was most interesting, you know, again sort of reading the Google material and and seeing what they're promising is, you know, this this idea that we're going to have an improved attribution and and you're like, "Well, given sort of the privacy regulations, you know, how how are they going to actually achieve that?" So Really trying to, to deep dive, and I think we'll hopefully get to that a little bit later. But really trying to deep dive into, you know, how Google envisions something, a use case like attribution, which is, you know, how do we take all of the media that we have in, in the digital space and ultimately, uh, you know, use that uh, information and, and attribute it to, you know, our conversion events that we're tracking on our site. So Google promises this improved attribution, but as Nick said, you know, it's a this ever-evolving process and product to you know see ultimately how successful they'll be with uh, they'll they'll be with that in 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 sort of this new uh, regulatory paradigm. The, the other thing that I think uh, is is quite interesting and I you know I don't know if this is a, a huge shift from what GA3 was able to provide, but but this ability to, to measure using your own identifiers, right? If if you built out your own private identity graph and, and you want to take uh, your customers and your customer 360, and, and use that as, as a part of the measurement approach within analytics. Uh, GA4's, you know, gonna let you do that. Um, you know, again, how successful that is gonna be, I think. Uh, you know, there's still a lot to be learned there, but but ultimately. You know, as uh, as we see our clients build up their own first-party identity graph, I think they want to find places to to leverage that information, leverage that data. So, you know, I'm hopeful that, that GA4 really provides an avenue for us to do that, and and, and ultimately uh, use the the you know disparate sources of information and data that we have, and 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 use that to to form a um, you know whether it be attribution or whatever use case we're, we're trying to go after. Uh, use that data to ultimately uh, improve upon that process.
1: Seems like good timing for that to be (laughs) a feature that GA4 allows for, given, you know, upcoming third-party cookie deprecation on Chrome. Which
0: that's actually kind of bringing up another question that I've been thinking of and. like outside of just how to prepare, what are some other technical changes that are a result of this migration? What can marketers expect out of GA4 that's different from historical analytics and Gaia to your point around like a third party deprecation? I mean this isn't necessarily a one to one match, but certainly in the privacy vein of Google Analytics 4 no longer storing IP addresses. Are there other changes that are being made that we should be aware of?
3: Yeah, so Andrea, I I wrote a blog about that actually, that particular change. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's not that they don't use IP addresses. I, I you know, they're they okay. still sort going of to use them in, in sort of their, their user modeling and everything. Um, but they won't actually let you extract that in sort of a log form uh, anymore. They they've got these got modeled it. attributes that they they promise will will be a, a great proxy for sort of the old IP address use cases. I think it's called location within the platform. Uh, Nick, you can okay. correct me if I'm wrong there, but you know, the, the basic idea, and, and it, this is definitely a theme within GA4 is that, you know, we have these hard data points that, you know, may or may not be available based off of the cookie preferences as an example of a particular user. So the transition to a lot of these, uh, what I'm calling modeled, what Google calls modeled attributes, what I'm calling modeled attributes, uh, basically taking uh, and using the data that they do have available. Um, so, for example, folks that have opted into cookies or opted into tracking and on, on apps, and, and you know, we've seen this with iOS and, and what have you. But using the data that they do have available to create sort of, the, the old term might be a lookalike model, but it, it's, it's a bit more involved than that, right? Uh, you know, Google obviously has a whole bunch of data available to them to, to really make these models make these models sing and really work this general approach to how do we we have these two sort of you know separate groups folks that have opted into this tracking opted into cookies and what have you and and folks that have just not and said nope I'm going to use an ad blocker I'm going to use uh, you know I'm going to decline the the cookie pop-up when that when that comes up on the website but you know really Google's promise to uh, maintain consistency across those two groups and, and the way they've Really approach that with GA4 is, is through these modeled attributes, and and that even comes down to how Google is is now going to think about user tracking and and ultimately how they track individuals across the site, and and again with that attribution use case that I mentioned earlier, yeah, you know, how they you know track users. Old version uh, of tracking was really this cookie based approach, but uh, again now they're really moving to this modeled uh, behavior approach where uh, we're using the different events from a, an individual to say like. Uh, person a is different from person b and and uh, really start to differentiate uh, individuals as they interact with our with our websites and properties
2: like an important distinction to draw now in 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 analytics is you have sort of observable data where you have consent from the user uh, or you don't even need to get consent mm-hmm. for whatever reason and then you have sort of unobservable data and what what Google Analytics is going to do and now do you know in platform as opposed to leaving you to do it like yourself in in a data lake or something like that, is they're going to sort of fill in those gaps that are caused by the unobservable data where you can't sort of explicitly record what's going on because of a lack of consent or some other or some other reason and it's been really interesting to kind of follow the discussion on that. I think the um, you know the optimist sees that and thinks it's good news right now I don't have these like potholes in my data set, and I can kind of carry on with my use cases more or less on a sort of business as usual basis, whether it's attribution or whether it's optimization or personalization or whatever. Um, the the cynic, on the other hand, and I don't know if it's just my LinkedIn feed or, or, or who these people are, but the uh, the cynic crowd, which I hear a lot from, is sort of saying, well, okay, like maybe that's great that you have this model data, but it's all a black box. We're now just like taking Google's word for it when they right. say that, you know, your conversion rate is X or your bounce rate is Y. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's, sort of a, a valid point in one sense like you you are trusting google to like do the modeling for you but i think to be fair to google uh it, it's certainly better than doing nothing and i also think that their sort of credentials on the sort of ai and ml front are like reasonably <laughs> strong right and so if you're going to trust someone to do that modeling for you maybe google's a, a good horse to um, to bet on uh, so to speak but you know however you feel about that if you're sort of the more optimistic side or the more cynical side i think one thing is for sure this reliance on model data is is here to stay, and it's it's only going to increase, right? So if you're, without wanting to sound harsh, if you're sort of uncomfortable with the model data approach now, I'd say, you know, get comfortable with it, basically, because it's gonna become more and more, <laughs> and more of an issue. Yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful for one that, you know, GA is, is baking this into the platform where it just works out of the box, and we're not left to go and like contract yeah you know, complicated solutions uh, sort of outside the platform.
3: And quite frankly, it's it's not just site analytics and, and, and measurement, right? It, it is across the board, right? The the privacy wave is, is here to say, as, as Nick said. Right. Um, you know, this sort of modeled attribute approach or, or you know, modeling the, the known data versus uh, sort of against the set of unknown data is, is going to be an approach used throughout sort of the marketing landscape. So uh, as Nick says, uh, I think, you know it, it, it's here to stay, and and certainly you know there are times to be critical, absolutely. But but as Nick said, I think the the credentials of of a company like Google are are quite quite good when it comes to you know how are we going to take um you know these large data sets and and you know, gain insights and, and apply sort of the the learnings from the known to sort of this unknown bucket.
1: We will have to take bets to see how soon the AI powering our GA modeled attributes gain sentience Um, but in terms of like totally get you from hearing that like if you had to do this by hand or in an external modeling system like it would be a nightmare it's black box but it's kind of like the best the best we're really going to get but privacy regulations are probably only going to get more stringent right so At least from what we know so far, have we seen any like case studies or official testing results of like, you know, if we are questioning these metrics, like how reliable do we think the modeled attributes are? I don't know if there's like a percentage wise answer or if we really haven't heard anything on that front.
3: Nick, uh, I'll I'll throw that one back to you uh, being the DA for expert. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that it's
2: easy to answer that question, at least yet. Uh, in a sense that, like, oh, they're you know 91% accurate. You know, well, here's what I would right. say: the the best question by far that I've seen about the sort of modeled data uh, is not like, oh, we can't trust Google or oh, it's a black box. The the best question I've seen is, how do you know that the unobserved data isn't like fundamentally different in some way? From the observed data. So, if you're a brand and you sell uh, T-shirts online, right? What if the people who are using the ad blockers and the privacy-safe browsers, and all that kind of stuff, are just sort of fundamentally fundamentally different, like customer segment, from people who don't? Um, now, you're using your observed data to model out the unobserved data, and one of the assumptions underneath that, right, is that that jump can or should be made right so um i think that's the biggest question right is what if you're actually talking about two very distinct customer segments or or or, uh, audience segments um, and what would the implications of that be i think that's a very interesting and and if i can say like slightly unnerving question so you know time will tell i suppose i think we're a little bit too early in the game to really have a firm point of view on that but yeah it's it's something that uh, i mean i I know firsthand many many brands are kind of actively keeping their eyes on
3: and you know just sort of zooming out, I think that same sentiment can be said about let's let's say you're using a, a mobile measurement partner to to really work on sort of mobile and app based attribution uh, as as an example lots of of work being done in that space from a you know what they call it fingerprinting on that side of the house really similar concepts right. Yeah, how do we take our observed or uh, known data and and ultimately use that to model some unobserved or unknown data? Um, You know, there's been some use cases and sorry, case studies, excuse me, uh, to suggest that that is you know highly representative of you know the you know the truth, if you will, of you know from an attribute again, sort of using the attribution lens here. But yeah, I think Nick's point is is exactly right and. And quite frankly I think you would you would uh, you know just on the face of it assume some difference between those populations these are folks that are opting into whether it be a, a privacy safe browser or an ad blocker or declining cookies right there's clearly some bias towards uh, you know not wanting to to have those trackers or or you know put cookies on your browser right uh, versus the 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 other group which yeah I just don't care I just want to get in there and buy my t-shirt right so yeah I, I think on the face of it you would make those assumptions but you know at the end of the day you know how different are they? in that that relative difference is is ultimately where uh, you know you'll see success within um, you know the the essentially modeled attributes, right? So potentially it's going to depend on what line of business you're in. If uh, if you're a quick serve restaurant, right? Uh, maybe you just you have so many uh, folks coming to your website anyway, or, or or in your your app anyway, and um, and, it, you know, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, the, the difference between those two groups aren't, aren't that extreme where, you know, maybe you're in some sort of high tech, you know, business line of business and, and maybe there's just more awareness around uh, you know, the, the, or uh, sensitivity maybe is the right way to say it around some of these, these privacy concerns. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to really differ client by client as to, you know, potentially how successful a, a model attribute might be. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really the best that I think Google can do. These things are here to stay, as we've said a number of times already.
1: I think we've also alluded to this a little bit, but just to make it explicit um, to our listeners, how are the changes in GA policy for storing personal identifiable information? How is that affecting how marketers are going to need to work to resolve customer identity on their end? Yeah,
3: we, we get this question a lot, quite frankly, from our from our clients in the consulting practice. How are we supposed to navigate sort of this this privacy safe world? And it, it is certainly centralized uh, around your site analytics tool and how you capture and manage data from from your digital your digital properties. So I I you know I think GA four and and you know, everything we've talked about with the, the modeled attributes and and everything there is is you're gonna have to take stock of that and and ultimately see how your existing uh, processes need to be changed um, to accommodate these sort of differences, um, but also other technologies like CDPs. CDPs are, are really quickly becoming leaders within the, the digital identity space. You know, of course, CDPs are, are not created equal, of course. Uh, lots of different capabilities. Quick
0: question. Yeah. What does CDP stand for?
3: It's a customer data platform.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And for anyone... Not aware of them. Can you give a, a brief overview of like what they what they functionally provide for a company?
3: Yeah, in fact, guy, that's exactly where I was going. I, I think not all CDPs are created equal. Quite frankly, yeah, it's an emerging space within sort of the digital platform world, uh, and you know that the term, quite frankly, is thrown out a lot. I just threw it out right there, right, assuming everybody was was on board with me, but. Uh, quite frankly, folks throw it out all the time to mean, but, but generally they, they fall into three or four sort of capability sets. Um, sort of this orchestration and activation use case, um, set of use cases. Uh, and there's a group of CDPs that, that do that really well. Um, the digital identity space, which is, you know, how do we take the information that's just available to us in, you know, as somebody's browsing our website and, and try to, to make those differentiations between person A, person B, Andrew Stark and somebody who's unknown, right? How do we sort of navigate all those ideas and analytics sort of um, use case where we really wanna sort of measure uh, campaign effectiveness and do our attribution and those sorts of use cases. So uh, unfortunately the, the word and, and the phrase CDP or the, the acronym CDP uh, is, is thrown around quite often without uh, a real concrete <laughs> definition of what it means. So I I think not all CDPs are created equal when it comes to the digital identity question. And really, there are some leaders in the space. You know, when it comes to CDPs, and you know, how to again, how do we take that information that is available to us and and ultimately form a, a clearer view of an individual? And that doesn't necessarily mean knowing who that person is, right? It could be an anonymous person, but we are still able to understand how they're interacting with. With our, our website and, and you know, our different digital properties, it could be somebody that's known, somebody who's sort of logged in and raised their hand and said, "Hey, I'm Andrew Stark. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go put a couple of t-shirts in my shopping cart." If we can go back to that uh, that business, right? Um, and, and you know, you really under you have a fundamental understanding of who that person is. But um, you know, when it comes to the digital identity question, I think CDPs are, are really trying to uh, make their presence known as a tool of choice for marketers uh, in resolving digital identity or at the very least collecting a set of data that would uh, support uh, that resolution. Uh, And lastly, we we have a a capability that we we call uh, Digital Customer Recognition or DCR uh, and it's becoming uh, ever more important within our toolkit. Uh, DCR is essentially enabled through a series of tags and these tags can be placed on websites, they can be placed on emails. Uh, and you know, as these tags fire, they start collecting information about users' sessions. And uh, again, sort of in conjunction with a, a technology like a CDP, try to resolve that identity in real time. So uh, even if somebody hasn't logged in or if somebody hasn't uh, raised their hand and said, hey, this is who I am, uh, maybe there's uh, some underlying fundamental understanding of who that, uh, that user is. And, and we may be able to curate an experience around that, right? Personalize a web page or personalize an offer within an email. Uh, those kinds of things are, are really becoming quite important for clients as we as we talk to them.
0: Very cool. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up our episode here, um, do just want to give a quick plug for both Andrew and Nick's articles. That we'll link in the show notes. Definitely worth checking out for more information. But again, as we're wrapping up, are there any other benefits or takeaways that we haven't discussed in transitioned to GA4 that our listeners should be aware of or, or thinking about? Yeah, I mean,
2: absolutely. So we talked at the at the outset and you know, some of the macro trends that are driving like why GA4 is happening and why Google is essentially, you know, forcing the migration. I think, you know, those are important and applicable to to everyone. Then you get into sort of the bells and whistles, right, which sort of might be applicable to you or exciting to you and and might not be. Um the good news is, I mean, there are a lot uh of bells and whistles in GA4 and a lot of improvements that are sort of net new to the platform as opposed to just being like sort of minor iterations on what was already there. We were touching on the notion of identity and, and identity resolution uh, previously. Um, I think that's an, an aspect of GA4 that's going uh, surprisingly under the radar. So some of your, your listeners may have heard about Google Signals. Uh, Google Signals is basically, uh, for the first time, Google allowing us all to tap into their identity graph to do identity resolution within the, the Google Analytics identity space, if you, if you want to call it that. So that still leaves questions about how do you take identity from the from the google space and sort of marry it up to your first party data or like your crm or things like that but one of the things that i'm excited about is with with google signals where it can be used given privacy regulations and that kind of stuff you should see a total step change in terms of like report accuracy and identity resolution which which has a sort of beneficial kind of halo effect on everything that you're doing with ga right so the segments that you define are more accurate the results that you see when you're activating against those segments should be more efficient and more kind of cost-effective. So by tapping into Google Signals, by bringing that identity resolution into the platform, you have just this wide variety of kind of knock-on benefits. And like I said, I think that's that's something that is surprisingly kind of underreported, in my opinion. I actually don't see a lot of chatter about that, even though I think if I had to pick, it's probably like the single most exciting piece of GA4. So I'm excited about it, and certainly singing singing its praises to, to clients.
3: Nick, I wrote about it in my my IP address blog, actually. Google signals and, and oh, good. How, okay, uh, so good. Some pub now, all yeah, right. That could really assist in. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe all that, not that much. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think Nick said it best. I, there are a ton of bells and whistles that go along with uh, the rollout. You know, some of them aren't going to be particularly interesting to maybe a smaller client, but, but uh, you know, one of our Fortune 500 companies that we work with all the time, you know, could be interested in, in some of those features. You know, at the end of the day, right, it, it's sort of the, the software cycle. Uh, you, you see this with all sorts of software out there. You know, there, there's a new version that, that's going to just provide better uh, service for a lot of different things, uh, including new features, including... Um, you know some of the things we stopped, we talked about with modeled attributes and, and what have you, but yeah you know, it's it, it's an upgrade. Yeah, you know, you, you're gonna see performance and and you know other kinds of, of improvements to the the product itself. Uh, it's still uh, as Nick um, you know outlined at the at the start of call, It's still in development, right? It's still being uh, improved upon uh, even as we speak today. So um, look for those updates from Google directly. Look, look to see how they're describing those changes in their in their changelog. They do a they do a good job of sort of outlining what a, a new release is, is going to offer from a, um, you know, a features standpoint. So, but yeah, it, it really sort of follows traditional kinds of software and, and how, you know, you're going to update your iOS uh, operating system on your phone or your, your Android operating system on your phone. It, it, it is uh, in some ways similar to that kind of thing.
0: Awesome. Well, Nick, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing it with us uh about the GA4 transition. I know I personally need to uh, make sure that all of our clients are aware and know what's going on, as well as flag for our team and make sure that their clients know as well. But again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks
2: Thanks for having me. me.
1: This brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode for our season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note
0: at digitalmarketingmusings at merkelink.com. And of course, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well as rate and review the show. It helps others find us. And as always, please tell a friend. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound
1: and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schließman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Drew Flowerday, and social media and promotion by Gina Aestrop and Andrea Ratner. Be sure to tune in next time and until then, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.